Welcome to Stack Attack, the PI Public Library Services podcast on books, culture, and everything related to the world of libraries. In June of 2009, Canada's House of Commons voted to declare the month of June as National Indigenous History Month, a time for Canadians to celebrate and honour the history and diversity of the country's Indigenous community. This past June, shockwaves of grief and horror rolled throughout the nation with the discovery of 215 unmarked graves on the grounds of the former residential school in Kamloops, British Columbia. The discovery immediately resulted in vigils and commemorations throughout the country and widespread calls for justice from federal and provincial governments. With the continued discovery of more unmarked graves on former residential school sites, Canadians are searching for opportunities to re-educate themselves to learn about the history of residential schools and how to become better allies on the road to reconciliation. In order to help Islanders find books and resources relating to this topic, we have assembled the first Stack Attack book panel. Joining us today, we have three special guests. The first is Nora McCarthy-Joyce, who is a mental health and addictions community relations specialist with the PI Department of Health and Wellness. We also have Neil Forbes who is currently the Network Coordinator for the Wabanaki Labrador Indigenous Health Research Network at Dalhousie University. And lastly, we have Roseanne Gauthier, our Youth Services Librarian with the PI Public Library Service. Welcome everyone. My name is Crystal Dion and I'm the Branch Technician at the Montague Rotary Library, which is a part of the PEI Public Library Service. Um, first off, I'd like to acknowledge that the land I'm speaking from is the traditional and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq. We are here today in honor of National Indigenous History Month, and our guests today are going to discuss some of their recommended book titles on the topic of Indigenous history and culture. I think we'll start with Nora. Nora, if you'd like to share your first book recommendation with us. The first book that I chose uh, is called The Gathering. It's a story by Teresa Muse. And this story is about a child named Alex who is able to attend her first spiritual gathering, Mi'kmaq spiritual gathering, or, or we call it a Maui Alex is nervous about doing this, about being away from her parents, but she has a cousin. And, and, and of course, he takes her under his wing and kind of guides her along the way through a number of very, very rich uh, and, and traditional pieces of, of the culture. So Alex is able to meet elders and chat with them along the way and, you know, learn about drumming and tanning and designing moccasins and, you know, basket meat making and canoe making and, and all of those things. And at the end is able to enjoy a Mi'kmaq feast as well. But I think what the reason I chose this book, one is because I think one of the important parts of this that they talk about is is a talking circle. And within that talking circle, Alex is able to find her own voice. And I think that whole notion of reclaiming voice and finding one's voice is very important, probably more important today than ever before. The other reason I chose this book, of course, is for kids and families to kind of partake in together and to learn to learn about the culture uh, together, but also hopefully to encourage them to reach out to their local communities in their area and perhaps even attend a powwow together or uh, attend one online virtually. So I thought that this this book was just a really, really nice book in terms of exploring the culture, not only for an Indigenous uh, uh, person, but for, for anyone. Neil, would you like to share your first pick with us? 
Yeah, I also, for my first pick, uh, I picked a YA novel, uh, Sherman Alexie's Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian. The story is about Arnold Spear Jr., and he's from the Spokane Indian Reservation. It's written as a diary from Arnold's perspective, and it's just an insight into his life, how he perceives his life, how he processes his life, and the balance of in community and then his life off community where he goes to school. I, I read this years ago, loved it. Before rereading it, I gave it to a friend's son for Christmas, and it was a hit, but <laughs> the mom was definitely reminding me of some pretty graphic uh, sections <laughs> that I had forgotten about. So, you know, it's an amazing book, uh, just, you know, fair warning. And I, I picked it because I'm, I'm Cree from Saddle Lake, uh, but grew up, have lived the majority of my life in Summerside. And it wasn't until 2015 that I heard the term urban Aboriginal, which is just anyone who's not on reserve. And there's a really exciting movement of urban Aboriginals and what that means for your culture, your identity. And, and I feel that this, you know, this novel came out in 2007 and did a really excellent job of distilling the conflict that could happen in a child's head in that situation. So a fantastic book, really funny. Uh, yeah, I, I really love that book. Roseanne, what's the first book that you'd like to share with us today? So my book is called Swift Fox All Along, and it's written by Rebecca Thomas, who is a spoken word artist and poet, and also a Mi'kmaq woman from Halifax, Nova Scotia. I had actually read this book when it first came out this this uh, winter, just been kind of it was like, it really, I found it a really heartwarming, beautiful story. And then a few weeks ago, I actually participated in an online seminar. Rebecca was one of the guest speakers and hearing her talk some more about her own journey to finding her culture and what that's meant to her made this book, I think, speak even more to me than it, it did before. So Swift Fox All Along is about a young girl named Swift Fox, and this is loosely based on Rebecca's own experiences when she was young. And Swift Fox's parents are separated, and her father is Mi'kmaq and lives on reserve. This time is going to be a special visit because he's taking her home to meet her family. And she's really nervous because she feels like she doesn't know how to be Mi'kmaq. No one's ever talk to her about that before as they get closer and closer she gets more and more nervous and she walks in the house and she sees all these people who are so ex excited to meet her and you know they she's invited to take part in a smudging and she just says like I, I can't I don't know what I'm doing she runs outside and hides under the porch and eventually you know she does she actually finds another cousin who's also arriving for the first time and they're both nervous and they both go in together and they both realize how much actually was inside them the whole time that they they already knew and I, this book is just such a, a beautiful example of how, you know, we're already part of our family sometimes, even when we don't know. And I loved the illustrations in this book. Like they're very diverse. You know, they really show that you can't just look at somebody and, and guess by their appearance, whether or not they're, you know, they're part of an indigenous culture. You, you can't tell by their, their faces and their skin color. And I also really loved that there was very obviously a diverse family happening you know, there were people in the illustrations who, you know, looked like they might identify as queer. The house just looked like a regular house. It just was such a nice 
family book. Um, and I can really see it being a very powerful story to share between parents and children too. Nora, do you have a second book that you'd like to share with us? I do. And I was actually just thinking, I, I should just mention before we move on in terms of um, the gathering by uh, Teresa Muse that I mentioned earlier. What's interesting is yesterday I found out that one of my relatives actually received an award from her this week upon their graduation from a high school in Nova Scotia. So one of the things I learned about Teresa is that she um, she also works as an Indigenous student uh, mentor, support worker in Nova Scotia. And so she's giving back in more ways than we can possibly imagine. But to have a relative say, you know, post that they have received an award from her, and here I am kind of looking through her works and promoting them, I thought, hey, that's really cool. That's really wonderful. She's giving back in many ways that perhaps we don't even know about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the second book I chose was by uh, Rebecca Thomas as well. And the reason I chose this book was kind of continuing with the theme of finding my voice. So to add to what Roseanne had mentioned, Rebecca grew up, grew up off reserve and her father uh, went to Shubenacadie residential schools. And as a result, he couldn't speak his language anymore. And so he was, you know, unable to pass on any of his cultural teachings and language to her. And it wasn't until she uh, got into her early adulthood that she read the poetry of Rita Joe. And Rita is an elder in the region and who has done some amazing work. And I think it has inspired many generations of, uh, of Mi'kmaq and, and other Indigenous writers to kind of take that up as well. Anyway, she couldn't believe how much she related to the words of Rita. And because of that, she decided to write this book. And the name of the book is I'm Finding My Talk by Rebecca Thomas. And what I really love is how poignantly it starts. And really, this book can be read with, I think, any age group. And I would encourage parents, children, teachers even to go through this book and help every child think about what it means to find their talk and how they can write their own story uh, based on the one uh, by Rebecca Thomas. So I just want to read the first four lines of this book because I think they're so powerful and relevant. I'm finding my talk, the one I never had, the one that the schools took away from my dad. And of course, it goes on with beautiful illustrations about how she's finding her talk. So I'm finding my talk with every bead. I'm finding my talk with clumsy feet. So she's dancing. I'm finding my talk by meeting my family. I'm finding my talk on the inside. So I just think it's a beautiful way to get us thinking about culture in general, what it means to find our talk, how we go about finding our talk. And I think it's relevant to every single person on the planet and uh, is a really fantastic uh, teaching tool and learning tool. Neil, do you have a second book to share with us? So just to add to the Rebecca Thomas conversation, uh, I'm very proud and fortunate to get to call Rebecca a friend. And uh, she's actually a band member of Lenox Island First Nation. So it's a nice uh, PEI connection there. I, my three-year-old daughter, Lottie, loves Rebecca's books. And, you know, I was at a I was at a meeting once and I, I apologize, I cannot remember the elder's name, but someone asked like, you know, at what age do you start this conversation? And he shared that you, you shared from the beginning and you shared in the context of peace and friendship and that you don't need to get into the nitty gritty details of residential school and, and whatnot. But if you start with the foundation of peace and friendship, that when it comes time to have those more difficult conversations, 
they already have the, the more indigenous mindset of where we could be going, which seeing in my daughter and seeing her, you know, make connections about how her teachers love her and, you know, the comfort that gives her, it's fantastic. So the second book I chose is uh, Medicine Walk by Richard Wagamese. So Medicine Walk is a novel uh, about uh, a 16-year-old boy named Franklin Starlight. And he, at the beginning of the book, is summoned by his biological father, Eldon Starlight, who is dying of liver disease, to take him into the backcountry to give him a warrior burial in the woods. Uh, and so the book is bouncing back and forth between Eldon's story and Franklin's story and how Franklin came to live with uh, a non-Indigenous man named Bunky, but he's just referred to as the old man throughout the novel, uh, and how the old man taught him everything he knew about traditional hunting and gathering. The story of the father and son getting to know each other for the first time, the slow walk towards the ultimate uh, death of the father. Richard's writing of the wilderness is just staggering. Medicine Walk, I really appreciate that. It is clearly a response to the realities of residential school, but it's a more intimate family story. And and it shows kind of those ramifications uh, that we all know or is the reality of the genocide of residential schools. So it, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sad book, uh, beautiful book. It's a quick read. Anything by Richard Wagamese is worth a read, and it's a, it's a shame we lost him. Roseanne, would you like to share another title with us? The next book I've chosen is called My Heart Fills with Happiness, and it's written by Monique Gray Smith, illustrated by Julie Flett. I would say that both of these artists are absolute gifts to Canadian children's literature. Monique Gray Smith has written really powerful books about residential schools and reconciliation for kids. But the book is written where it just goes through the things that can make your heart feel glad. And, you know, and for the the people speaking in the book, it's things like singing and smelling bannock cooking in the oven and walking barefoot on the grass. Um, so simple things, you know, nothing, nothing big and fancy or big and expensive, just the, the beautiful, simple joys of life that we can find just by looking around us. And I love that at the end of the book, it actually, it asks the question, what makes your heart fill with happiness so it really encourages readers to think about you know where are those own things where are those things that you can see in your life and Julie Flett it's hard to sometimes describe her illustrations well because they're they're dark and moody but at the same time they're very like light and joyful pictures which are you know obviously of Indigenous families and Indigenous children enjoying these, these pleasures just come together to make a really happy book. People may have stereotypes of what it means to be a part of that culture. And I think a book like this really shows that there's a lot of happiness that goes along with that as well. And I don't think that's something people always see. Nora, I believe you have one more title to share with us. Uh, yeah. So this is kind of the third installment in the, in the whole theme of, um, I guess, finding voice, uh, reclaiming, reclaiming our stories, reclaiming our voice, and sharing our voice. 
And so the last one that I picked up is a book that has been around now for quite some time. It's a national bestseller uh, by Tanya Talaga, Seven Fallen Feathers. And, you know, this is a really hard-hitting book. Uh, it really speaks to systemic racism in the Canadian context, speaks about Indigenous suffering uh, and what that looks like. But it also speaks to the resilience of the families involved in this story and their ability to endure kind of the impacts of that racism and that suffering and still uh, with, with very much grace and, and, and very him impact kind of endure those injustices and still walk tall and proudly and, and, and in a very strong way. Seven Indigenous students who were attending high school in Thunder Bay and who died in that situation and um, early in the century. And so she's writing the narrative of this. And as she's doing that, she is retelling the family's experience. And this is where I think it becomes so relevant to today's situation with the unmarked graves that we're finding uh, across Canada. And the pain that we're all feeling is that she goes in to help us all understand this suffering from, from the process of reporting a missing person this being your, your son, to having a long, drawn-out investigation around that with police and other professionals. And then, of course, the first visit to the coroner's office. What, what was that like? And so she goes into this heartbreaking detail to give us all a picture and a snapshot of what these families were experiencing. And through that, I think, is what's so important is that it helps us to bring us all to a common understanding and I think that really speaks to us today in that situation. In chapter six, the title of our chapter was, We Speak for the Dead to Protect the Living. And I think that is so relevant, so very, very relevant to today, because that's exactly what's happening today. That's why these communities, our communities are, are standing up and they're standing tall. And they're speaking with grace and unity and peace and, and in the spirit of uh, walking side by side in understanding so that we can get to a better Canada, a Canada that we all want to live in. And so I think it also speaks to when, when people tell their story and their story is told and heard, it's a reclaiming. So as we, you know, as we experience this together as a nation, what's happening in current day, it's a, a way of people to be able to reclaim the stories that they've been telling. They're reclaiming that history, but through that, they're also reclaiming their voice and they're also sharing that voice. And so I think that really this book should be read by every, every Canadian because of that. And this would be a timely time to do it if you haven't read it or a great time to reread it. The, the other thing I would say about this is it also highlights the unequal educational opportunity. They're still being felt today. And so certainly I think education is part of that solution as well. So, you know, as we speak about these books, we are educating and, uh, and there's lots of work to be done in that area, but we've also come a long way. Neil, would you like to share your final book with us? Just, I've not gotten to read that book by Tanya, but after the, the Kamloops news dropped a couple of weeks ago, I don't, I don't know the, the reason for this. I found a copy of her, her Massey lecture, her ability to distill the depth and awfulness of our story in a simple uh, and effective way 
and then tie it to a bigger picture. It's phenomenal. I'm, I'm very excited to read Seven Fallen Feathers. Uh, but, but yeah, so in listening to Nora, I realized I accidentally picked a theme as well. So um, my last book is Kiss of the Fur Queen by Thompson Highway. And the accidental theme is just kind of my journey uh, as an urban Aboriginal becoming more comfortable uh, with my culture uh, and my history. So uh, Kiss of the Fur Queen is the best novel I've read in terms of an author's ability to write in an Indigenous way. And, and by that, I mean, you know, really distilling traditional ways of knowing and being. So this novel has a ton of Cree language in it, and its structure and form would be, you know, quote unquote, non-traditional or non-linear. So I had a really interesting experience where I was introduced to this book in university. When I was that age, I spent very little time uh, reflecting on what it meant for me to be Native. Uh, and I liked the book, but really never gave it much thought. And then rereading it for this conversation was a very emotional experience uh, because it, it was just a whole new book. Kiss of the Fur Queen is the story of uh, champion Okamasis and his brother Dancer Okamasis. And one beautiful narrative trick that Thompson pulls is that the story starts in community and then is quickly evolves uh, to them having to go to residential school and then the impact of that on the rest of their lives. But at the beginning of the book, they're only referred to as their new names of champion and dancer. And then as they go to residential school, they're referred to as champion Jeremiah Okamasis and Dan dancer Gabriel Okamasis with Jeremiah and Gabriel being there, the names forced on them by the school. And as the book progresses into their adult life, they only become Jeremiah and Gabriel. And then at the very end, you know, they go back to their traditional names and never picked that up when I read that years ago. And it's just so, it's so simple and powerful. Yeah, the story is about the two brothers and how their experience at residential school threw them in completely different orbits. Champion ended up being a natural, beautiful pianist. So he was treated well in the school because he had something that the Western, you know, European view valued and dancer uh, becomes a, a ballerina, but was a, like enjoyed dancing traditionally. And so you see how the repercussions of the church not valuing that culture and the way they go about extracting that culture from the individual. And then the ramifications just extrapolate to very sad places. But the story of their relationship is beautiful. It's a beautiful book. It's its ability to show and respect their culture and their journey is is fantastic. I just yeah, can't recommend this book enough. All right. Well, I think we have one more book from Roseanne. So my final book is actually um, it's an anthology. And it was compiled by Lisa Charlie Boy and Mary Beth Leatherdale. 
and it's called not your in not your princess and it's got the little hashtag sign so i guess it's hashtag not not your princess and lisa charlie boy i first became familiar with her when she was hosting some radio programs on cbc so when this book first came out i was really excited because i i had heard lisa speaking on the radio and had found her so interesting and this book is almost mo- more like a zine so it's it's a lot of poetry and essays and illustrations and artwork from different Indigenous women from all across North America, not just from Canada. And it's divided thematically. Lisa uh, spoke in an interview once about how she was actually inspired by Beyonce's Lemonade (laughs) to, to do this book. She loved what Lemonade did for starting conversations about Black culture and Black women. And so she wanted to do the same thing for Indigenous women. And so this book tackles like really, really intense topics. You know, there's a whole section in here on missing and murdered Indigenous women and pieces written by family members left behind or women wondering like, how did I get lucky? And it wasn't me. There's a really evocative piece in here written by um, a woman who was frequently referred to as Pocahontas when she was in school and how that impacted her her own image of herself. So a lot about like stereotypes, a lot about, you know, racism, sexism, misogyny, a lot of really heavy, but very important topics. And then the book does kind of finish out with a section that is a little bit more hopeful and it's supposed to be it's it's titled pathfinders but it's pieces from women about how they're going to move forward the things that we need to do to look after our planet the things that we need to do to look after each other and the ways that they see healing happening it's it's a really powerful read it's a quick read not a it's not a thick book even though i think there are 50 people 50 different women who contributed but it's it's an emotional powerhouse that really something that you read and you really you really think about violence that many people have had have experienced and you know the tragedy of of all these women that that didn't come home it's an incredibly powerful read Stag Attack is a production of the PEI Public Library Service We hope you enjoyed today's episode and that it might inspire you to learn more about the history and culture of Canada's Indigenous people. A big thank you to our special guests, Nora, Neil, and Roseanne, for sharing their book recommendations and thoughts with us today. And of course, we always love to hear from you. Share with us any book titles or resources that you would recommend on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And don't forget to check out our website, library.pe.ca, for the most up-to-date information on library events, resources, and services. Thank you for listening, and have a great day.